Welcome to Right Course with Dan Barry, conservative commentary on politics, policy, and the news from the southern Piedmont of North Carolina through the Raleigh State House into the nation's capital. To learn more about us, search the web at Right Course with Dan Barry and let us know your thoughts. We look forward to hearing from you. I'm your host, Dan Barry. Welcome back to Right Course. This is Dan Barry, and this is episode number six. I'm thrilled today to have a very, very good friend of mine joining us via Zoom in a few minutes, my good friend, Judge Jeff Carpenter, who's running for the North Carolina Court of Appeals. As has been our practice in the past, we're looking at a little bit of history in each one of our podcasts, and this is our sixth, which takes us to 1782, and frankly, not much was going on. We were at the end of the Revolutionary War. A few countries start to recognize the United States, and work is beginning on the Constitution. I look forward to uh, continuing that story as our episodes, but with no further ado, let's bring in my good friend, Jeff Carpenter. Thanks again for joining me on Right Course. It's a real honor and privilege to have my good friend, Jeff Carpenter, who's a Superior Court judge uh, down here in Union County, does do some courts in Mecklenburg County, and he is a Republican candidate for the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Fantastic guy. I've known Jeff for a long time, and uh, it's just an honor to have you with us, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, Dan. It's, it's my honor to be with you and, and have the opportunity to, to talk to you and let your listeners listen to us. Well, you know, you and I have a, uh, a guilty pleasure, and that's when we get together and have an opportunity to talk political strategy as you began um, your process or thought through your process of running for the Court of Appeals, I thought, given my audience, that it would be a great opportunity for you to tell me and the rest of us kind of your story, because I think it's fantastic. Uh, Talk a little bit about where you came from and how you ended up as a Superior Court judge and then now with this dream of joining the Court of Appeals. I grew up in Anson County, and for those that don't know Anson County or much about it. Uh, it's a very rural county, economically depressed. It's, it's home to title schools. Uh, I am a product of the public school system from Anson County. I graduated from Anson Senior High School, went to UNC at Charlotte, received my degree in political science. Immediately upon graduating from UNC at Charlotte, uh, I went to the North Carolina State Highway Patrol Basic School and became a state trooper. And I was a state trooper for six years. I actually met my wife in Highway Patrol School and she grew up in Indian Trail here in Union County. Uh, And we were stationed together in Richmond County. Uh, I was a trooper for six years. And after six years on the Highway Patrol, I followed the dream of going back to law school. I went to Campbell University and received my law degree. And then I uh, hung out of shingle and became a trial attorney for 13 years, and Judge Lee in Union County announced he was retiring. Uh, I was appointed to fill the re- remainder of his seat pending the outcome of the election by Governor McCrory. Uh, that was in June of 2016 that I took the bench. I was elected uh, in a contested election, won in a contested election in November of 2016, and I've been Superior Court Judge uh, June of 16. And uh, friends of mine from uh, friends that I hold in really high regard called me and asked if I had ever considered running for the Court of Appeals, and I said, no, 
they said, well, would you consider? And I said, you know, if it's my idea, it's probably a bad one. But if it's your idea, I ought to at least think it through, right? Uh, through much prayerful consideration and consultation with my wife, uh, we are following the, the path where it leads. And uh, now we're running for the North Carolina Court of Appeals seat number seven. And I was thrilled to be asked, you know, early on what I thought about that. And I think you're fantastic. But you told me something uh, just now that I didn't know that love was a trooper. Yes, sir. We met in Highway Patrol School. Grew up 30 miles from each other. I grew up in Anson County. She grew up in Indian Trail. And we met in Garner under those uh, incredibly stressful, intense conditions. And we actually got stationed together in Richmond County. An An office romance. How did that turn out? Well, we were actually the best of friends for about a year before we even started dating. And, uh, you know, it's once you start dating a really good friend, uh, the marriage has been about as smooth as we could have asked for. She's still my best friend to this day. Isn't that fantastic? I feel the same way about Leslie. Now, you have a son, teenager, right? Yeah, Walker's 14. He's, uh, he's in the public schools here in Union County. I didn't know his name was Walker. That's great. So when you look at um, your tenure on the superior court and and making that leap from running in a superior court district to running statewide you know in my mind there's there's really two pieces that there's the there's just purely the politics of it going from a small district to a statewide campaign which is a monumental task and then the second is kind of I'll steal the word jurisprudence what are the subjects you deal with in superior court and how do those differ from what happens in the Court of Appeals. So let's back up and first deal with politics, and then let's talk a little bit about the role of the courts, because I think that's the part that most of the folks that vote for judges don't understand when it comes to the Court of Appeals, what those justices really deal with. Right, so you're exactly right. Running a countywide campaign is a totally different beast to under to try to overtake than a statewide campaign. In, in the election in 2016, I ended up getting right at 60% of the vote. It was just under like 58% or something like that uh, in a contested election. And uh, that was a lot of ground pounding, knocking doors, uh, going to events and of just trying to meet everybody that you could. The state wide campaign is a totally different instrumentality because it's a really big state. Uh, the role of the candidate really is to meet the folks that get out and do the work in the respective counties and get to know you. So when they go out and talk to people, they can say, Hey, I met the guy. Uh, he's solid. He's, he's uh, worthy of your vote. And that's what, the statewide candidate's job is, is to get out and meet the folks that actually go out and meet the folks, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's like vertical marketing, if you will. Um, and, and I loved your, your, your conversation about superior, uh, superior court, because it was pure retail politics. You know, I, w- I was there with you banging on doors and, um, you know, you, you petition your government face to face in these local races. And so that was an opportunity to do that statewide. You know, I don't think people realize that from Murphy to Manio is 15 hours. It is a long, long way across the state of North Carolina if you try to do it. And that's why you see many statewide candidates like governors that are doing it with airplanes because you just can't get there, which makes the strategy that you guys are employing as a slate 
um, so advantageous. To, so the the pool of people running as statewide statewide judges working together as kind of a ticket, if you will, allows y'all to cover so much more ground than you would be able to if it was, you know, Jeff Carpenter hitting a hundred counties. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, we we actually had the opportunity to coordinate and put some put some thought into what that slate would look like before it was finalized. So uh, for the most part, the folks that are on that slate of eight, there's three Supreme Court seats that are on the ballot and five Court of Appeals seats, all statewide judicial elections, all eight-year terms. Uh, But that slate of eight was vetted and recruited based on their judicial philosophy. And and I'll boil it down in, in the simplest terms the judicial philosophy of that entire group of eight is that's what it says and means what it says. And importantly, it doesn't mean what it doesn't say. That's, that may be more important than it saying what it says and meaning what it says is putting something there that's not there. Which is a challenge we have because even when we look at um, the North Carolina general statutes, if it is not uh, prescribed in the general statutes, then it's up to the individual. The government has no say. And that's one of the challenges that we see. Real quick, let's back up for a second. Sure. Eight of you, just run through that for the audience real quick. We have uh, Justice Newby at the top. Right. Justice Newby is running. He's the most senior uh, justice on the court currently. He is running for the chief justice seat, which, if you think about it, makes sense that the senior person that's been there the longest and done the job the longest would be the chief justice of the court. That makes really good sense to me. I hope it makes good sense to your listeners. So Paul Newby's running for chief justice. Uh, He's running against a gubernatorial appointee. Uh, Roy Cooper appointed Cherry Beasley to the chief justice position and uh, folks can probably form their own opinions about how the justice system has uh, grinded halt as of recent uh, and make a determination in regards to uh, the difference in philosophies there as far as management goes. Uh, Phil Berger's running for an associate justice seat. He is currently on the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Uh, great guy, former prosecutor from Rockingham County. Uh, he is, uh, he's an intellect. He, he thinks deeply and strategically about things, thinks big picture. It's not just what you're doing here. It's how it affects everything else because there's always collateral uh, consequences to any decision and and, and, his, and his opponent is his opponent is lucy and um she is a she has a storied career uh, of non-conservative representation and non-conservative values so anita earls who was elected last cycle um who came from the what the southern poverty law center or or Correct. one of those uh, far left advocacy advocacy and lit- litigation groups was elected and her term is six more years from now based on the eight year term rule. Her term is in 2026. Wow. Okay. So we got a while to go. Um, so that's the Supreme court. Then the court of appeals is the five of you. So it's well, you. Tamara Berger, Tamara Berger is run, running for the third associate justice and she is running. Her opponent is uh, also a gubernatorial appointee, Mark Davis. Uh, Tamara was a former state senator. She teaches uh, business law at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Uh, 
her practice is basically business litigation or business representation. Uh, on the court of appeals, wait, 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 wait. That would make her the only business lawyer on the Supreme Court, because Paul Newby didn't come out of that. No, she's uh, she. I'm not sure that I would say that she's she's a taxation lawyer, okay. which is not necessarily the same thing as business lawyer, but uh, taxation, we've all heard, uh, it's not about what you make, it's about what you keep. Yeah. Uh, it takes you a while to understand what that term actually means, and it's good to have somebody that understands that on the, court, on the I, high court. I absolutely understand. We'll let our audience read between the lines. Good for business. Good for business. So then when you have the Court of Appeals. Court of Appeals. Uh, there's five of us running for the Court of Appeals. There's only one incumbent. So that means right now there's a, a majority Democrat makeup on the North Carolina Court of Appeals. There's 15 Court of Appeals judges. There's five seats on the ballot this time and only one incumbent. So uh, that means basically um, there's an opportunity to swing the balance pretty substantially the other way. Uh, we've got a great group running for those seats. Chris Dillon is the, is the lone incumbent. He comes from a real estate banking type background in private purpose. Um, also for the court of appeals is judge Jefferson Griffin. He's a district court judge in Wake County right now. Uh, recently re returned from a to the middle East and uh, he's come back and joined the team on the campaign trail. We're glad to have him back. Uh, Fred Gore is a district court judge from Bladen, Columbus, and Brunswick County, I think. It's a three-county district, but I think those are the three counties. But uh, he's, a, he's currently a district court judge. He's also um, a military guy. He's, he's been on deployments. Uh, great guy. A lot of it, he was a prosecutor before he was a judge. A lot of experience, great personality. Uh, running for the, uh, not sure what seat it is. April Woods run one of the seats. Uh, she is a district court judge out of Lexington. She's been a district court judge, I think, for 17 years. Long time. She's, she's won at least three elections, maybe four. Uh, she's running for one of the seats. And then I'm the, the last of the bunch. I'm the sole superior court judge running uh, for the court. But all the Court of Appeals candidates for the Republicans are current sitting judges. So that, that group brings a ton of experience to the table. My background was uh, in trial courts. Every, what a lot of folks don't understand, Dan, is that every case that ends up in an appellate court somewhere starts in a trial court. Every case starts in a trial court that ends up at the appellate court, whether it's Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals. So uh, my background as being a trial attorney uh, brings a lot of perspective that's just not present on the bench right now. Most of the folks that are on the court of appeals and the Supreme court for that matter, uh, most of them are intellectual types with no actual courtroom experience. experience. Yeah. Now, uh, Justice, Justice Newby was, was a courtroom lawyer. It did a lot of white collar stuff when he was with the AG's office. Before we get in, get into the organization of the court for a second, um, real quick, what ends up at the court of appeals? Is it, a failure of a uh, by us, and that's the wrong word. Is it a a problem that was created in a superior court 
that for that the appeal goes in? Is it an appeal based on a on an evidentiary issue? Is it appeal on a misunderstanding of the law? What what enables that case to end up in the court of appeals? Well, maybe uh, is the is the answer. Uh, the truth is. It doesn't matter if you have the perfect trial. That animal doesn't exist, by the way. But assuming you had the perfect trial, you have an appeal by right. So if so I, lose, I lose, I get to say somebody else gets to take a look at this. That's right. Even, even if it was a perfect trial, you, you received the perfectly fair trial, uh, you have an appeal by right. So uh, everyone gets the opportunity to have it reviewed at the appellate level, whether there's any errors or not. And, and you know, a lot of the cases that go to the Court of Appeals don't have errors or harmful errors. They're largely non-prejudicial. So as far as what goes to the court of appeals, everything that comes from a civil district court or the superior court goes to appeals with the exception of uh, business court cases. Those are superior court judges that preside over the business court. Business court cases now go directly to the Supreme Court. Think about that when you only have one business background attorney on the Supreme Court. Think about that for a minute. Uh, you have termination of parental rights that go from directly from the district court to the Supreme Court now. And then you have capital murder cases that go directly from the Superior Court to the Supreme Court. Everything else that gets appealed goes through the courts. So um, you and I have had a lot of discussions about the three judge panels. There have been uh, a number of instances in the last 24 months where the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court appoints a three-judge panel to review something. Um, without getting political, let's talk about process. What are those three-judge panels? How are they actually appointed? And what is their adjudication process? What is the result of what they do? And we can pick any one of the cases if you want to as an example, or we can just theorize well, the most recent case that I have any uh, just sort of to describe the process to you is uh, the most recent one that comes to mind is they had a, a case that they filed about partisan gerrymandering not too long ago. Right. And what happens when that, that action gets filed is that the chief justice of the Supreme Court appoints three superior court judges of his or her choice. So time out. Case is filed in Wake County because it's a government case. So Correct. Wake County Superior Court hears the case and finds one way or the other, and it's appealed. Well, what happens is the senior resident Superior Court judge in Wake County makes a make referral to a three-judge panel. He's, he's sort of the filter. It's, it's Paul Ridgeway. He's kind of the filter to whether it needs to go through a three-judge panel or not. So he didn't issue an opinion. He sent it up and asked for three other judges to deal with it. Correct. He sends the request to the, the uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, to appoint a three-judge panel to address the case. So as a partisan, Dan Barry, I want a Republican Chief Justice to make that referral because, he, as you just mentioned, he gets to appoint Superior Court judges anywhere in the state. He just pulls from that, he pulls from that pool of Superior Court judges to find three that have some reputation or, or knowledge on the subject matter? How does that happen? Well, in theory, that's, uh, that's what you would do. Uh, the only real restriction on choosing the judge is that 
the three judges have to be from different divisions. So that's the only real restriction is you have to have three judges from three different divisions. There's five divisions in the state. So you have to have three judges from, from three different divisions. That's the only uh, restrictions on the choice made by the chief justice. And, you know, whether it's a, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat chief justice, what you want is somebody that'll uh, pick judges that don't, don't bring an agenda with them with a predetermined outcome in mind that'll listen to the case and make a determination based on the law. In essence, you want judges that in as citizen, as a citizen, as a citizen, Dan Barry, you would want a judge, I think that would apply the law the same regardless of issue or politics, just follow law. Not, and not, and not legislate from the bench. That's really what you're Correct. getting at. So, Correct. so when we look at those three judge panels then, and, and, you know, we've talked about them, voter ID, gerrymandering. There's a whole a slew of stuff that came out from the North Carolina General Assembly that was litigated. It ends up in the three-judge panel. If the three-judge panel, and I think most of these were 2-1, there maybe were some 3-1, 3-0 decisions. If the loser at the three-judge panel, and I, I can't say defendant or plaintiff, but if the individual in that case doesn't get what they want, there is the ability to appeal out of there, but because it, it, the three judge panel is in place of the court of appeals, it goes straight to the Supreme court from there. No, it goes to the court of appeals and then to the Supreme court. If, if it's appealed there, but the Supreme court can reach down and take any case they want. So it's just like the U S Supreme court. If they find a case down in some district that they think they need to rule on very quickly, they can go into those district courts and pull them out. Right. Even if it's still in the trial court, they can reach down there, get that case and bring it up to their court, make a ruling and then send it back for further uh, action with their ruling. Hmm. So from the three judge panel to the court of appeals by natural. uh, So now as, yeah, so now as a judicial candidate, I know that we, there's not a lot of raw politics we can talk about because oftentimes there is, uh, are cases out there that may end up in front of the Court of Appeals. But let's talk about the importance of the judicial elections this cycle. And this, this is the stuff you and I get really excited about. We have, we have three branches of government, the governor's office, the legislature, and the, and, and the courts. And when it comes to politics that we will be addressing for the next 10 years, Looking in the rearview mirror of the last 10 years, the courts have played a very significant role in the framing of kind of the, the legislative politics and agenda moving forward. So the Republicans, frankly, have a real opportunity not to take over the courts, but to create some balance is the way I look at it in the Court of Appeals, because we still won't have a If we win every race, we still don't have a majority on the Supreme Court, Correct. Correct. And but we, having having the chief justice seat uh, will will keep, based on my knowledge of Paul Newby, uh, and, and the jurist that he is, having that chief justice's seat will keep those uh, predetermined, agenda-driven judges from being appointed to those three court, those three judges, and that's and, important. And that's the key. And that's the key. So when you look at this. Um, you know, no matter what happens with the governor, because the governor does not have veto power over election law, 
um, the General Assembly passes redistricting bills and election, well, excuse me, the governor doesn't have a veto power over redistricting bills. He does over election law. This is a redistricting cycle. This election will control statewide redistricting, both for congressional seats and the North Carolina General Assembly. Will they redistrict the courts, Superior Court and District Courts? Or are those done locally? No, it, they're done in the legislature, but they don't get redistricted the same way that the House and Senate seats do or the congressional seats for that matter. There was a redistricting that went, that took place. Uh, Mecklenburg County. Maybe two years ago. Yeah. So, so the one, the bogey that we're looking at is the North Carolina general assembly and congressional seats. Correct. And, and so it's fair to say those, those maps, cause we've been at it, you know, eight times in 10 years, will ultimately end up at the Court of Appeals. They go to a three-judge panel and then a Court of Appeals. And then the Supreme Court. Yeah, you're almost guaranteed that based on the, the conduct of the respective parties up until this point. So, so what is um, looking at the, the makeup and the campaign? We are, we're actively in the campaign. Uh, Vote-by-mail ballots have been distributed. You can still apply for them. We got 600,000 requests for absentee vote by mail ballots in North Carolina already. Those are out in the mail. I talked to uh, somebody this morning. They have 35,000 in Union County last year uh, in 2016. At this point, we had 1,000, just to give you some idea. Um, We don't have a makeup of whether those are Republican or Democratic requests. I think it's a fair assumption that those are breaking to the Democrats than the Republicans. Republicans tend to vote on election day and in person. Uh, I do see some of that breaking more to early voting, but we'll have to see. Looking at um, just your your run, your feel on the ground, um, your feet on the street, so to speak, how do you think you guys are doing compared to the opposition? I think I'll tell you how I, what I think and feel we're doing, and then I'll tell you why I feel that way. Uh, I think that we're in good, a pretty good position right now, and the reason that I that is, uh, if you have judges that follow the law, the law says what it says and means what it says. Everyone wants stability and uh, predictability in the court system. So that's why it's important to have judges that will follow the law the way it's written and not make it from the make it from the bench. And because of that particular fact, uh, conservative judicial candidates uh, are going to do well just because they create the opportunity to preserve or, or rebuild stability in the judicial system. You know, the, the judicial branch, you, as you mentioned, Dan, there's three branches of government, but the judicial branch is the one that's tasked. It's a reactive branch. It's the branch that's tasked with keeping all the, the other two branches in their respective lanes. When the judicial branch starts jumping over there into the legislative role, there's no one, there's no branch of government to keep the judicial branch in its lane. And you can't go to the federal courts to get balance because it's all measured against the North Carolina constitution. So it's, it's, uh, it's bizarre. Now we're going to digress for a minute. And uh, as we come down to the home stretch, we have a governor's race, a U.S. Senate race, a presidential election. We have the courts. We have all of our local races, county commission, so on and so forth. Uh, you're out there on the street. I, I predict um, Trump carries North Carolina. He's, he is butting up on the margins in polls of 
likely voters, which is very different than polls of registered voters. Um, Tillis appears to be in a dead heat to plus one in a uh, 3% margin. Um, Cooper uh, Forest, Forest is behind, but you know, if we go back 60 days, he was 16 points down. The next poll was 10 points down. The last poll was six points down. Those polls were dropped pre-Labor Day. I have been saying for, for two and a half months, the poll on September 15th, which will include the failures of virtual education and the governor's culpability in this, that, that this election is going to swing and really tighten up in the governor's race. And all three of them, I think, are tighten as they typically do moving through September. But we see Tillis, Trump, and Forrest um, marginally head to pulling ahead outside of the margins as we move into October. I don't know what your sense for that is. Uh, I believe, based on my boots on the ground experience on the campaign trail uh, over the last few weeks, uh, is immense on one side versus the other. Uh, the Republicans, the Republican enthusiasm is is arched. It's palpable. Uh, that's right. And you know, look, I talked I talked to lots of nonpartisan groups because the judicial um, the judicial branch, although we have party designations, um, I, I want everybody to understand what they're getting if they vote for me. I want those folks to. So I talked to lots of nonpartisan groups, basing that simply on going to a bunch of Republican meetings. Uh, although I'd, I'd go to the meetings too, any Democrat meeting invited to, uh, if I can work it in scheduling wise. But that's based on the whole picture that I see from the partisan uh, activities and the partisan activities on both sides. Mm -hmm. uh, the momentum for the, uh, Repub the enthusiasm for Republicans is off the charts. It is exciting to watch. Um, you know, I can't thank you enough for taking a little bit of time out to join me. We're, I can't wait till the election is over so we can get really granular and talk some politics. And maybe um, we'll do this again in October and leave the courts out. And you, sure. and, I can, you and I can talk about the tell as far as Trump races that you and I dig into in granular detail from time to time. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. And um, I look forward to doing this again. Thanks, Dan. I'll come back anytime you want to. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast through your provider and invite your friends to join us. Of course, look us up on the web at Right Course with Dan Barry, where we have additional content, blogs, and other items for you. We look forward to seeing you again and make it a great week.